Get up to 30% off wedding jewelry at BlueNile.com and remember the joy of your wedding day forever. Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence, for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Before we begin, here's a special code that gets you a 20% discount subscription to New Scientist. The code is POD20. Go to newscientist.com slash pod20 to subscribe and you get all the contents of the magazine plus audio versions of the stories that you can listen to in our app. That's newscientist.com slash pod20 to get your 20% discount. Hello and welcome back to New Scientist Weekly. I'm your host, Penny Sarchet. And I'm your other host, Rowan Hooper. Welcome to the show. This week, we're also joined by New Scientist reporter Michael LePage. Hello, Michael. Hello. Coming up on the show this week, and I have to say it's a really good lineup, we'll be bringing you all the latest scientific thinking on what we know so far about the Omicron variant. We have Harvard psychologist and writer Steven Pinker on human rationality. And we have a new kind of ultra-accurate GPS system that uses cosmic rays. <laughs> yes. And we have Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence on the show. Hooray! <laughs> uh, actually, uh, it's just a, cl- a clip of them, really. But we're discussing their new Netflix film, Don't Look Up. And here's a quick oh, teaser. Sorry. I'm sorry. Are we, uh, are we not being clear? We're trying to tell you that the entire planet is about to be destroyed. Okay. okay. Um, well, it's, um, you know, just something we do around here. You know, we just keep the bad news light. Right. It helps the medicine go down. I've really been looking forward to this movie. I can't wait to hear what you think of it. But first, let's start with Omicron. And, and Michael, your articles on Omicron the past few weeks have been essential reading. Uh, what's the current situation? Uh, it's pretty dramatic. So South Africa's already had three waves of the coronavirus. And now with Omicron, we're seeing cases rise faster than they did in any of these previous waves. And the early signs from Europe are that it's spreading incredibly fast here too. <laughs> Sorry to just be trivial here, but um, Penny, you were saying Omicron. Mike is saying Omicron, Omicron, and I, Omicron. I'd say Omicron. Yeah, so I should stress that just about everything about Omicron remains uncertain <laughs> for now. And that even, oh includes, yeah, even includes pronunciation. So I, I looked this up in the Oxford English Dictionary yesterday, and it actually gives six pronunciations. I prefer Omicron, but uh, most people do seem to be adopting the, the Omicron. So yeah. uh, I may have to give in to popular uh, opinion at some point. Anyway... 
Let's get back to the news of of this nasty thing. Uh, What do we know about why it's spreading so fast, Michael, now? So so it seems to have a a, a sort of terrible combination of higher infectiousness and higher immune evasion. So with the original coronavirus, someone infected that probably infected two or three other people on average. And since then, we've had more infectious variants like Delta emerge. But the thing is, those later variants have been spreading in a world where most people have some immunity or have even been vaccinated. And so they've not actually been, we think Delta in a population with no immunity, Delta would spread to six or seven other people on average. But in a real world, lots of people now have immunity and Delta was not very good at evading immunity. So it didn't spread that fast. But now we have Omicron and that's inherently more infectious and it can dodge immunity. Exactly. Omicron has 30 mutations just in its spike protein. And that's what our antibodies grab hold of. So the suspicion right from the start is that this means it can mostly evade antibodies that we have from infection with other variants or one or two doses of a vaccine. And that is now being confirmed by initial lab tests and and what we're seeing on the ground. So I will just say uh, regular listeners will remember that we did actually warn about the evolution of escape variants back in episode 78 at the end of July. So Omicron's appearance really isn't a surprise for those of us following the science. Maria van Kerkhoff of the World Health Organization this week told new scientists that Omicron was entirely predictable. But now that we know it's here, we know it's highly transmissible and it exhibits some immune escape. The big question, I guess, is how severe is it? The short answer is we're just not going to know for at least several weeks. But we do know that antibodies are just one part of our immune response, and those other parts of the immune response should still help protect us from severe disease, even if our antibodies are failing to stop us from being infected in the first place. So it's not like we're going back to square one and losing all of our protection, but we are losing at least a part of it. What about the reports we're hearing about Omicron causing milder infections? Yes, this is really important. Uh, personally, I think that's a very misleading way of describing what's going on. And I think it's important to say at this point, there's no reason to think that Omicron is any less likely to kill people who have no immunity from vaccination or from prior infection. So in other words, if you if you haven't been vaccinated, do it now. Absolutely. So the thing is, it's true that there are some reports from South Africa suggesting that not a lot of people are getting seriously ill. But firstly, it's very early days still. And we know that sort of severe illness lags long time after infections. And the second thing is that we know that pretty much everyone in South Africa has either been infected or vaccinated. So we'd we'd expect cases to be milder because everyone has that immunity already. Okay. And so what might we be able to say about Europe and the US? Well, uh, most people in, in Europe and the US have now been vaccinated, of course. So we'd expect most cases to be mild too. But I think the way to think about this is that the risk to you as an individual is a bit higher with Omicron. You might become a bit more severely ill because you've lost that little bit of immune protection. And that's why it's so important to get a booster if you qualify. And then, of course, there's also long COVID. Uh, We don't know what's going to happen with long COVID with Omicron. It's going to be months before we can say anything about that. And the, the big thing, of course, is that there's this danger to countries as a whole that we're going to see such a sudden big spike in cases that hospitals are going to be overwhelmed again. I mean, the initial indications are that cases are shooting up really fast in the UK, for instance. Yeah, and obviously everyone's very dispirited that this is happening just at the you know festive time of year in the run-up to Christmas and the, the holiday period. Yeah, it's really disappointing, isn't it? I just had my booster and I was really looking forward to getting out to some yeah. party. But as, uh, as you know, 
our, our new scientist party was supposed to be tonight. That's been cancelled, and and so have all the others. Yeah, and uh, I mean, it, it is disappointing, but I think it's absolutely the right thing to do because we've we've already seen some astonishing super spreader events at Christmas parties across Europe. So there was one case in Norway where seventy out of a hundred and twenty people got infected, along with another fifty people at the same restaurant. So those are just astounding numbers. Yeah, like when you hear about things like that, it's just much better to play it safe. Now, coming up, we're going to be discussing that new Netflix film I mentioned at the beginning. It's about the climate emergency, but it doesn't mention climate change. Uh, and to lead us into that, we've got a story here about melting glaciers. Uh, listen to this. Wow, what is that? That is the sound of air bubbling out of a glacier as it melts. Oh, wow. And whereabouts was it recorded? Uh, it's in Svalbard, a, a glacier in Svalbard in northern Norway, which is obviously also known as Kingdom of the Ice Bears. So obviously we know it's bad that the glaciers are melting. And, and also I know that it's useful to sort of collect the air that's released when they do, because that's trapped ancient air and we can learn a lot from it. But why would you also record the noise of it? Yeah, I did wonder that. Um, but it turns out that the ice melt releases acoustically distinct pressurised bubbles underwater and the noise of the pops and the bubbles change as the water temperature increases and as you reach the terminus of the glacier. So some of the ice holds ancient bubbles of air, as you say, and but this can be up to 20 atmospheres of pressure. Wow. Um, so by listening and recording the noise, we can then get more information then about the effect of climate change on, on how glaciers are melting? Yeah, that's the idea. You can record the underwater sounds from a melting terminus and then you're able to monitor the ice loss and link it to the water temperature. Um, at the end game of this is to monitor the stability of the glaciers over time. And by the way, this is work by Harry Vishnu from the National University of Singapore and Grant Dean from the Scripps Institute of Oceanography. And thanks to them for that Svalbard audio. Time out. Are you ready to indulge your inner scientist in the world of education? New Scientist Academy, with over 6,000 active learners, is an education platform for you to get even more involved with the subjects you're most passionate about. In our first year, we've launched courses covering the human brain, consciousness, genetics, evolution, greener living and everyday quantum physics. Be one of the first to join our newest course, The Science of Your Wellbeing. Find out how to hack your habits and become a healthier and happier you by examining the concept of wellness under a scientific lens. New Scientist Academy has an offer especially for podcast listeners. Go to newscientist.com slash courses and use pod 40 to book any course at 40% off. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. 
Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. And we're back and we're off to the movies. We like to cover films and plays and art when they explore new scientist territory. And this week we have the perfect opportunity with the release of Don't Look Up. It's in cinemas in the US and UK from the 10th of December and globally on Netflix uh, from the 24th of December. Rowan saw it and chatted with climate journalist Emily Atkin, who writes the climate newsletter Heated. Emily, thanks for joining us. So let's set up the movie. It's the story of two astronomers played by Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence who discover a comet hurtling towards Earth. And it's a really big one, bigger than the one that killed the dinosaurs. Uh, And it's what they call a planet killer. What Dr. Mindy is trying to say is that there's a comet headed directly towards Earth. And according to NASA's computers, that object is going to hit the Pacific Ocean at 62 miles due west off the coast of Chile. And then what happens? Like a tidal wave? No, it will be far more catastrophic. So what did you make of it? I thought it was beautiful, (laughs) which I know is a really weird word to describe a film about a, like a satire film about a planet killer comet. But I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was weird and I thought it was cathartic and intelligent and I thought it was important I I really I mean I'm not a movie critic right I'm a climate change journalist so I know everybody else sitting in the movie theater with me wasn't an actual movie critic and I know that they were also laughing as much as I was and I'm not sure if they cried the number of times that I did but I definitely did cry two times I laughed a lot in it yeah it was a great satire and unexpectedly moving actually absolutely hilarious especially Jonah Hill who plays the uh the chief of staff the White House chief of staff he and and Meryl Streep do such a good job playing fascists you know they're just so good (laughs) Meryl Streep um plays the president we've also got Kate Blanchett in the cast Ariana Grande Mark Rylance uh, an incredible cast so yeah the premise is that the comet is flying towards earth And the astronomers have to get out there and warn the world of this imminent global threat. Meryl Streep's this fascist US president. They have to try and convince her uh, to take it seriously. And a media that's only concerned with total showbiz gossip. So did that, you know, sound familiar in any way to you, Emily? (laughs) Yeah, um, I've been describing this movie to everybody that I tell about it as extremely cathartic. Because it was like it took every frustration that I had about the media in particular for the last, you know, eight years of covering climate change and put it in a satire movie. I mean, also, isn't it amazing that it's obviously about the climate crisis, but they they don't actually mention the, the words climate change or climate crisis in the whole movie, do they? Or did I miss that? But I don't think they do. They do not. And yeah. I, was, I was looking out for it the whole yeah. time. And the only... The only moment that I could see a mention of something that was exactly the same as climate change was, and this won't spoil it for anybody, but when there's protests about, you know, look up, look at the, look at the comet, um, you know, we have to do something about this before it hits the earth. There are signs protesters are holding and one of the signs says fossil fools yeah i saw that too um and so that's a climate thing but they're obviously making because in the movie uh the very rich politicians 
and tech CEOs want to mine the comet for its rare earth minerals. Its yes. Fossils. And so Don't Look Up refers to the, the slogan that these sort of comet deniers put around saying, you know, to try to literally make people not look up and, and ignore the threat that's coming down, looming down on them. Impact deniers. That's what they called them. <laughs> they called them impact deniers, which I actually thought was, I remember uh, watching it and being like, that would be a good thing to actually call climate change deniers mm. because they're always saying, climate change deniers are always saying, well, the of course the climate's changing. The climate's always changed, yeah. right? Well, I don't deny the climate. Uh, I know the climate exists. Really, what they are is they're impact deniers. Yeah, yeah, They deny that the impact of climate change, human-caused climate change, is going to be terrible and catastrophic. So I don't know if you read this, but um, so the the movie's written, co-written by the director, Adam McKay, with the journalist, David Sirota. And it it kind of came about because Adam had been trying to think about a, a way to write about the climate crisis in a really engaging and funny way for ages. And Sirota sort of mentioned to him, it's like there's an asteroid going to hit Earth and no one cares. And and that's how the idea started, that they literally took that, that sort of one line. I mean, it's such an effective way to talk about the climate crisis because they don't mention it and it's unexpectedly hilarious. And Whenever I see scientists in movies, I often, you know, they often do the Hollywood lazy trope of them being, you know, a balding white man in a white lab coat. This time we have uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, who um, he starts off a bit nervous, doesn't he, his character, but he finds passion and anger in the end, which is great. But then we've got Jennifer Lawrence's character, who, you know, she's a bit like what Greta Thunberg might be if Greta turns out to be a scientist. You know, she's angry and she gives, she sticks it to the politicians. And that's great to see. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to sit there and, and act like I was, I didn't feel extremely seen by that character. There was definitely like moments when I was watching it and I thought to myself, like, did David Sirota read my newsletter? You know? <laughs> I'm sure he does. Yeah. Not that, of course... I don't have a monopoly on climate anger. I think there are a lot of climate scientists, journalists, uh, angry women in the climate movement. You know, I thought of, of course, I thought of myself, but I also thought of Greta and I thought of Amy Westervelt and I thought of Mary Hegler and I thought of other angry climate writers who have been called alarmists, haven't been given the time of day, haven't been credited for their work. You know, at one point in the movie, they even say that, Leonardo DiCaprio's character was the discoverer of the comet when, you know, Jennifer Lawrence's character yeah. was the discoverer of the comet. It's, it's literally named after her. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was just so, I was just laughing so hard because I was just like, this is so correct. I loved how, even though two white men wrote the movie, they definitely acknowledged that white men tend to get more credit and get listened to more, taken more seriously than, than their female counterparts. And, uh, people of color you know the uh, the character that that played the uh, the other scientists that never got any airtime the black man it was very true to life in that sense i mean who knows if this is going to make a difference in terms of leading to emissions cuts on the scale that we need but it does get the message out there and that's what we always need to do yeah and i would say that what i thought the most impressive and important thing the movie did for me was it ended on this note that didn't make me feel 
bad about myself. It didn't make me feel like I needed to go back to work and work on the climate crisis. It didn't make me feel like I needed to, you know, throw my whole life away to combat climate change. It, it only made me think that maybe I need to take this more seriously. Really, what I think the ending message of that movie was, was value what's important on the planet and in your own life while you are alive. And that is not just the comet hurtling towards the earth. That's the people you love and the places you love and be motivated by the people and things that you love. That sounds like a lot of fun. I can't wait to stream it later this month. Now we have that cosmic ray story, which will really help you if you're ever lost in the Arctic. (laughs) So this is a cool bit of tech news about a new kind of GPS that could be useful if you are lost in the Arctic. Rowan spoke with one of our US editors, Chelsea White, about this. Hi, Chelsea. Now, tell us, why do we need GPS in the Arctic? And anyway, why doesn't traditional GPS work at higher latitudes? Well, traditional GPS could work just fine. But the satellites that the U.S. military controls are u- mostly configured around like the middleest part of the planet, where the most of- <laughs> yes, yeah. and that's you know where most of the U.S. military action has traditionally been. But there are other sets of satellites run by Russia or the EU, and they have better coverage in the Arctic. But the U.S. Navy can't really use those, so now they've you know awarded this contract to develop their own method to use GPS more accurately up north. And how do cosmic rays come into it? Because that makes it sound like a a military alien weapon. (laughs) Well, it's not quite that. But um, this new system, instead of using the the radio waves that GPS uses, it will use muons, which are particles that rain down on Earth's surface when high energy cosmic rays hit the, the atmosphere from space. These are constantly being produced, you know, so much so that if you look at an area the size of your thumbnail... And one muon will pass through it every minute. So they ha- they've been used for, you know, that because of this penetrative properties they have, you know, muons have been used for going to inspect nuclear material or even, you know, peering inside secret chambers inside the pyramids. But like if they just pass through matter so easily, how do we use them? Well, that's a good question. Um, this new system, which is called MuPS, and I think that's kind of adorable, um, <laughs> it detects muons with these scintillators and it incorporates really precise and very expensive atomic clocks. And so these atomic clocks can triangulate the source and the timing of each shower of muons. And that means it needs many showers to get a fix. But with 10 of these muon events, you can get an accuracy within 60 millimeters. Um, And you use even more events and you can get an accuracy down to 10 millimeters. That sounds like massive overkill. (laughs) (laughs) what we need. Yeah, I mean, I I thought that at first too. Yeah, I, why would you need millimeter level accuracy mm. to navigate? Right. But um it can also be used for things like detecting seismic activity or monitoring the movement of the seabed. So, you know, this is kind of a proof of principle thing and they're going to figure out how well it can work. Right. So it's not in use yet. No, not yet. So they're going to be doing a test of the setup. That's set to happen sometime before August. And it will be demonstrated under a frozen lake in Finland. So the average temperature there is negative 20 Celsius, and that's negative 4 Fahrenheit. 
So the team will have to use snowmobiles and ride out on this lake and then cut a hole and deploy the MUPS system. Mm -hmm. And this type of underwater use is really interesting to the Navy because they, you know, they've got underwater drones and submarines that they need to navigate. And um, precision is really important in those situations. In fact, in October, there was a nuclear submarine, the USS Connecticut, that was damaged by a collision with an underwater mountain, a seamount, um, right. in a region that wasn't very well mapped. So, you know, we do need to know, <laughs> down to some level of accuracy, how to navigate underwater. Yeah. And what about underground? Could it be used underground as well then? Yeah. Yeah. The developers say that MUPS has some interest from the U.S. Army for a portable version that could navigate in tunnels. So, you know, it could be used for a lot of different things. Now, shall we move on to Steven Pinker? Yes, let's. <laughs> so Pinker has a new book out, Rationality, in which he outlines the major forces underlying our irrational tendencies. Our reporter Graham Lawton spoke to him for a piece in this week's magazine, and we've got a clip of the conversation here. So we're coming in at a bit where Graham has asked him about that oft-repeated phrase that the world's gone mad, this suggestion that suddenly in the modern era, humanity has lost its mind. Pinker maintains that we're actually more rational than we seem. Yeah, I don't think it's quite right because we can be rational when it comes to our immediate surroundings and outcomes that uh, affect our lives, which, over which we have control. Also, uh, how, how could we set the norms of rationality, the benchmarks against which we say humans don't measure up unless we were capable of formulating those norms of rationality. So at least some of us have to be capable of rationality. So I, I'm not ready to write off our species as irrational, uh, although there's no question that we, uh, we do have outbursts of irrationality and they are uh, all too plentiful. And you say in your book, as soon as I mention the topic of rationality, people ask me why humanity appears to be losing its mind. <laughs> and that's the story of the past 20 years, I guess, or so. Well, it's actually the story of our species, really, because it isn't just the past 20 years. Conspiracy theories are probably as old as human groups. Certainly, paranormal uh, woo-woo isn't new, because uh, we used to call it religion, namely miracles and curses and divine retribution. Fake news is hardly new. What's unusual now is that we have a lot of means to answer questions that formerly were just cosmic mysteries. Before that, it was a matter of conjecture, and a good story was the, the best that we could do. But we carry over that mindset that when it comes to the cosmic, the counterfactual, the metaphysical, the highly politicized, comforting or empowering myths are as satisfying to people as the complex, uh, often ugly truth. So humanity is not losing its mind any more than it has ever lost its mind in no, the past right. at we this are, point. No, that's right. We are squandering some of the tools we've developed that could make us more rational if more widely applied. It's not that people are saying more unfounded or, or uh, outlandish things than they used to, but we're more cognizant of the, the, the higher standards that we ought to apply, the fact that these questions now can be addressed with more systematic means, and so the lapses are all the more salient to us. Just to move on to the next bit, I guess, is that you're famously optimistic about the kind of progress and 
human. Yeah, actually, I, de I deny that, that, that I am optimistic. <laughs> uh, I, mean, I mean, looking back to Better Angels, yes, say, no, that it, seems to be how it was widely interpreted. Was it was. Pointing but, at the data and saying, look, the world is getting ever better. Yes, but why would looking at data be optimistic? It's uh, looking at data. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't it's, mean unrealistically optimistic, but you have a, a positive out, uh, yeah, belief in... in so uh, well, I, based on empirical data in, in well, it, it's you actually be saying the similar thing in this book is that we can constantly nibble away at the mythological belief zone and bring rationality into people's lives. Well, I, I say that we ought to do that. Mm. Uh, so it's a uh, an argument on where we, we ought to focus some of our pedagogical and journalistic practices. To my disappointment as a scientist, we haven't been getting more rational. I'm getting less rational. Same when it comes to beliefs and paranormal phenomena like ESP and astrology. But in terms of the, the normative statement, the moral statement of what we ought to do, there it's not so much optimistic, but it is, I guess you'd call it you know, hortatory, that we, we ought to prioritize rationality. Uh, and, and a key to resolving the paradox of how a smart species could embrace so much poppycock and, 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 and codswallop and, and flapdoodle is that uh, our ability to resist uh, apocrypha and superstition doesn't so much depend on the rationality of any of us individually, but on institutions with norms and rules that allow us to be collectively more rational than any of us is individually. And since we all are subject to cognitive biases, but nonetheless we have achieved magnificent feats of rationality, you know, such as science, such as the conquest of many infectious diseases and of famine, depends on working together in ways that one person can expose another's fallacies. We try to replicate that uh, strength in numbers or wisdom of crowds in institutions like science with peer review and, and um, demand for empirical testing in properly functioning democracy with open debate, in journalism with uh, a, free, a free press. That was reporter Graham Norton speaking with Stephen Pinker, and we'll put a link to the full story in our show notes. That's all for this week. Uh, thanks, to, thanks to Jennifer Lawrence and Leonardo DiCaprio for joining <laughs> us. And thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed our show, please tell all your friends about it and subscribe. Yep, and thanks to to Michael LePage and Chelsea White and to Emily Atkin. We're back next week and we'll see you then. Goodbye. Bye. This podcast is produced by OG Podcasts. Find out more at ogpodcasts.co.uk. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl, yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>